I want to talk about something today that has really been um, um, really been getting my attention a lot, <clears throat> and it's something. It's a topic that has really been in a in a lot of conversations that I've had with people. And today, I want to talk about moving on from loss. Today is not a 10-step formula of how to not feel pain or how to just get over it as fast as possible. Today is more about trying to study what does God do and why am I going through this and what do I do about it when you go through loss? There's a lot of people who have gone through loss in the last year or so, the last calendar year at least. Some of you have lost loved ones. You've actually had someone die either because they were taken from you or because a disease killed them or because of age or whatever it is. But really in the lots of conversations that I've had with so many people, there have been so many different dimensions of loss and mourning that I have seen in people's lives. Because it's not just about that someone physically dies, it literally could be that you lost a job or maybe you've had friends that have left. They've left town or they've left church or they've left relationship and communion with you. Maybe you've got these broken relationships with some of your friends because you fell out with each other. Or maybe you've even had family, you've had divorce in your family to some capacity. Maybe you've gone through, you're, you're, you had all these great plans and they've been dashed and you just feel a gutting because you're not able to do the thing that you feel called to do. For some of us, it may even be that you can't go see the people that you love. I haven't been able to go to Scotland for two years now and I don't know how long it's gonna be before I'm able to go back there and see my mother because even if I do go fly there right now, they won't allow me to go into her house to go see her and she's very bedbound right now. And so there's a loss that you can feel within yourself because you're losing something. Even I believe children have been going through loss this year because they're not seeing their friends. They're not seeing this environment. And, and believe it or not, the suicide rate in, in, in Florida between the ages of 12 and 24 has gone up 30.5% last year in 2020. Why? Because there's a loss, there's a mourning, there's a brokenness within people and it's not the way they think things should be. Even it might seem dumb that you would feel sad about that maybe you have lost the ability to go to your favorite vacation spot. Maybe you've just lost motivation in your life. Maybe you're at the place where it was like, I could never dream of working from home, but now that I am working from home, I can't even get out of bed to try and go do my job today because I can't, I can't get back to, into that motivational place that I used to have. Loss, loss, loss just seems to have hit so many people. And maybe there's not one person who has not actually experienced that. But there's been a compounding problem on top of it, I believe. And the compounding problem, I believe, is we don't actually know as well as we thought we might be able to know. We don't know how to mourn loss. Because when loss seems to come, we seem to just decide we need to move on from it. We need to just get over it and just decide it's no big deal. We'll just pretend it wasn't there. And I'll admit right away, I am probably one of the worst people who knows how to deal with loss. I come from a country where we call ourselves the frozen chosen, right? We're so cold, our tears are frozen in our face and we don't cry anymore, right? We're just like, suck up, move on, get over it. Have you ever heard someone tell you, just get over it? Really? Well, I can't just get over it. Something just stops me. I don't have the, the motivation. I don't have this well. I don't have this, this source of hope within me to want to just move on from this. And the problem is that there are so many of us that just decide, well, I'll just move on from it. I'll pretend like it doesn't exist anymore. But the problem is you're not dealing with the problem that's actually in your life. And my dad used to say this. He used to say, 
He used to say, if you don't deal with your problems today, your problems will deal with you tomorrow. Let me say again, if you don't deal with your problems today, your problems will deal with you tomorrow. And so today, I want to really dig into this and I want to look at something that Jesus gave as a, as, as, as a story to the, the, the Pharisees and also to the disciples to describe the way that the life that we have operates and the, the loss that can happen, but the life that can also happen in our lives. And we're going to be reading from uh, John chapter 10. It's one of my um, probably favorite chapters in the whole of the Bible. And if you're, if you're at home and you're watching me on an app or you're, you're watching us on the northwestorlando.com app, you actually have a little Bible icon there. I don't know if you've ever seen it. You're like, oh, it's right there. You literally can click on it and you can type in the scripture there and you can read along with us as well because sometimes seeing it with your own eyes really does make a difference. So today I want to read from John chapter 10, starting from verse one. And as we're looking at this, well, I want you to understand that Jesus is trying to paint a bigger picture of what's going on in our lives, right? It's not just about being depressed. It's not just about mourning. It's not just about life. There's a much bigger picture that he's trying to create for us. And we're going to start at verse one. And the first three verses really give us a quick oversight of everything else he's about to say, right? Because there are four characters in this story that he's going to refer to several times within this whole story. And he starts off here, very truly, I tell you, that means I'm telling you the complete truth. Very truly, I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Now he says thief and robber, and I've only highlighted thief because he's going to refer to this thief later on. But what is the difference between a thief and a robber? Well, a thief is someone who wants to quietly come in and steal something from you without you knowing, right? But a robber is someone who comes in with a gun and says, give me your money, right? Someone who is noisy, loud, and threatening and doesn't care what you think or feel. I want to have what you have. Does that make us see the difference there? But later on, Jesus is going to talk about the thief specifically. There's a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate. This is someone who has been hired to stand in front of the gate and open the door. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now there are four characters we're going to have a look at in a second, but I'm going to read through this whole scripture so that we can get the complete picture here. When he has brought out all his own, this is the shepherd, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees still did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I'm telling you the truth, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep and all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. And I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out. This word literally means salvation. They will come in and go out and find pasture. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. This is my, one of my father's favorite scriptures. He used to say this all the time. The thief, he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Important scripture. We're going to come back to that in a second. Three times he says this. I am the good shepherd. He identifies himself. I'm, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one. I'm the man. I'm your dog. I'm the man. I'm the good shepherd. Right here. I know you're looking at lots of other things, but right here, the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd. Make it very clear. Not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I'm the man. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. We have the same relationship with Jesus as Jesus has with the Father. I know that sounded really important, but didn't get the reaction I was hoping. I am preaching 61% better than you're shouting back at me, all right? Here we go. I'll try again. Your relationship with Jesus is the same relationship that he has with the Father. Wow. Thank you. Just as the, my apologies for those that are watching at home. You can join in as well. Shout at the screen. That's good. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay my life down only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down. I'm choosing to give my life to you. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. In this story, there are four different characters that Jesus is talking about. The first one is the thief. There's a difference between a thief and a robber, but he hones in on the thief. He also uses the word wolf as well. Someone that is looking to come and attack us. Number two is the sheep. That would be us, right? We're the sheep. Why did he decide to use this example? We'll see in a second. But we are the sheep. The third one is the hired hand. He also calls that the gatekeeper. Someone who is hired to do a job and they can only do a job so far. And the last one, of course, is himself. That is the good shepherd. So let's go through each of these characters one by one and see what Jesus is trying to tell us today. The first one is, of course, the thief. The thief is the quiet one. The thief is the one who does not want to be told or does not want to be uh, uh, um, uh, revealed, does not want anyone to see what he's doing. And in John 10, 10, Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Now, when I was looking at this years ago, I remember looking at it going, and something suddenly struck me. I'm like, wait a second, thieves don't kill. Murderers kill, right? That doesn't make any sense. Why is he calling this guy a thief? He's not a thief. He's a murderer if he's killing someone. 
Well, the way it works with steep, uh, sheep stealing or sheep rustling, I've never done it before, so I don't know what it's like, but, but, but in the, in the, in when, when sheep are during the day, there are shepherds with them to lead them into pasture and to take them to a place where the, where the food is and they'll eat that grass and then they'll lead them somewhere else. But in the evenings, <coughs> when it's dangerous because you have dangerous animals or dangerous people, you'll take those sheep and you'll put them into the sheep pen for safekeeping. But thieves want to steal one of these sheep for themselves. And so the only way he can get rid of the sheep is if he kills the sheep in the sheep pen. So what the thief does is he'll climb over the fence or climb over the wall, get in and take a sheep and he'll either break its neck or he'll suffocate it to death. That's what thieves have to do in order to steal the sheep. Why? Because sheep are noisy. Right? And if a sheep gets noisy and things start coming out of its mouth and it starts kicking all the other sheep, it'll start waking up the other sheep and the whole thing will start to become such a kerfuffle, someone else is going to wake up. Either the gatekeeper's going to wake up or the shepherd's going to wake up and someone's going to do something about this. So therefore, the thief, the thief has to kill the sheep within the pen. It's a literal silence of the lambs. That's free today, Right? It's a literal silence of the lambs. In this year of loss, I believe that loss has not only just been public, but it's actually been very silent within people. I believe that many of our faiths have actually been silently dying, silently being choked out inside of us, silently just being put to bed in order to stop us being able to be whoever God has called us to be. Now, why, why, why are we losing our faith? Why does there seem to be a silence and a diminishing within the body of Christ? I believe Jesus tells us because the devil has a plan to separate and destroy you. And the way he does this is that the devil's plan of silencing us is to separate us from the shepherd. That's the way he does it. The tactic is to silence us. The goal is to separate us from the shepherd, right? The devil hates anyone that looks like the father. You look like the father. You're made in the image. So his goal and his job is to shut us down. And I believe that many of us have locked ourselves away, not because, not, nothing to do with the virus, but we've actually locked ourselves away from friendships. We've locked ourselves away from relationships. We've locked ourselves away from a hope and a belief and a faith in Jesus Christ simply because we feel stolen from. We feel like someone has taken something from us and our voice has been silenced. We've been choked out. And now we're withdrawing ourselves. We're shutting down. We are suffering literally in silence. Have you heard that phrase before? Suffering in silence. It seems to be something that is a common problem for many of us. And I would say, especially from me and my culture, I tend to like to shut it down and not talk about it. And we won't, we won't, won't tell everybody what my problems are, what my vulnerabilities are. So I'll just do it in silence which then takes me to the second character that Jesus talks about. It says, the sheep, the sheep, that's us. That's, he called us sheep. Now, when I'm thinking about sheep, sheep are the noisiest animals you know. I grew up in Scotland around a lot of pasture land. There's lots of sheep and sheep are noisy animals, right? If they're awake, if they're not eating and drinking, then they're probably bleating, bleating out a noise, especially if they, see, uh, if they see something that is dangerous or it's a threat, they're gonna start making a noise. Newborn lambs are very noisy. They're, they're springing around and they're, they're bleating out whatever it is that is in their lungs. They're letting something out. And I believe that in this context, as 
the thief has come to choke out our voices in this context of loss, it usually shows up in the silence in our mourning. We don't talk about these things. And I believe there are two things we need to learn. The first thing we need to learn is we have to let it out. You gotta let it out. There's a reason why Jesus said the thief is coming to choke you out, to stop you letting out whatever it is you've got to say. Even if it's junk, even if it's, if it's mourning, even if it's pain in heart, you've got to let it out. Even the psalmist, when he's writing, he's saying this, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. I can't take this anymore. He's letting it out. In Jewish culture, they even have a, a whole process of, of, of allowing themselves to wear a, a sackcloth, which is the most basic cloth, the scratchy goat hair that they would wear and they put ashes on their head. So they're actually broadcasting to everybody, I'm in mourning. They have a whole process for 30 days of mourning. They even have a whole process for a whole year of mourning. They know how to embrace mourning. I think many of us don't know how to embrace mourning. We don't know how to do it. We don't know how to let it out. Two years ago, we were at a funeral <coughs> from, uh, with uh, uh, many of you remember Calvin White. He was uh, one of our members here and he was murdered. But he actually grew up in a, in a black church in, in somewhere in Apopka and his family you know, gathered together to, to mourn over and then they actually asked me to come and uh, be on the stage with the other pastors, <coughs> excuse me, with the other pastors and to, you know, just to, to kind of be a part of the whole process. And I had never been at an African-American funeral before. And let me tell you, they wailed. When they came in, the family let it out. They wailed. They allowed their pain and their suffering and, their, and, their, and their, their loss to be felt within their bodies, to be felt within their voices, to allow other people to feel it. And you might go, well, that's uncomfortable. I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I really want to be, I don't know that I, I want someone bleeding over their emotion onto me. Let me tell you, all they're doing is processing that pain. They're letting it out. And I believe that many of us have to learn how to do this as well, to vocalize your pain, especially when you're vocalizing your pain, you become a noisy sheep. You're calling out to the shepherd. You're calling out to the shepherd. I feel lost. I feel stolen from. I feel attacked. I think the enemy is trying to steal me. And you can imagine that the shepherd will wake up and go, where's my son? Where's my daughter? What's going on here? And it's not that he's going to go, we're going to get rid of all bad things in your life. No, it's simply that he will be present in your life. Listen, when he was, when he was actually saying this, when Jesus was saying this, I, can, I believe that he was actually referring to another scripture as well. But as we're in here, as, as before we get to that scripture, as you're letting your cry out, if you decide to shut your cries down, one of the things that I've learned with people and with humanity is we go to self-medication. This is what we do. We self-medicate. What we do is we go to food. We go to alcohol. We go to spending money. We go to sex. We go to porn. We go to uh, uh, isolation. We go to things that make ourselves feel good about ourselves in order to try and numb the pain that we actually feel in our body. The problem is if you numb it now, you're just building it up for someday in the future. Remember, if you don't deal with your problems today, they'll deal with you tomorrow. And either your health and your body is going to give out. Listen, all emotion is manifested in your body. It's in your body. 
And that's where we start to self-medicate. It's our body, right? But the problem is we're now putting more trauma into our body. We're making our bodies have to carry even more junk. We put more drugs and alcohol and, and, and porn into our minds and all these types of things in order to try and stop feeling some other emotion. But really what you're doing is you're putting more trauma into your body and then someday your body just gives out and goes, I can't do it anymore. I can't, I, my, I can't do it. I can't cope with the amount of junk you're putting in this body right now. If you don't deal with your problems today, your problems will deal with you tomorrow. We have to learn how to mourn. <clears throat> the second thing is, you not only have to let it out, but you also have to walk it out. You see, I believe that Jesus, when he was telling the story, he was actually referring to one of the most famous scriptures that we know of from Psalm 23. And it said, the Lord is my, he's my shepherd. And Jesus, when he was reading it, he was reading it and he's like, that's me. I'm the shepherd. I'm the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He leads me by still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And even though, even though I, what does it say? I walk through the darkest valley. I shall fear no evil. Even though I walk, he's telling us, walk through the valley. You have to go through the valley. Don't set up tent in the valley. Don't stay there in the valley. You might have to go through that valley every day, but always remember that valley is a passage. It's not a destination. You understand? The valley is a passage in your life right now. And for some reason, the shepherd is okay with you going through that morning. He's okay with you going through that valley because he knows if you keep following him, you'll come out of the other side. You'll get to the pasture that he actually wants to take you to. Well, how can, how can that be? How can it be a pasture on the other side of that pain and that suffering? There is, we have to trust him as we walk this out. It's a passage, not a destination. Sometimes it's like, even I remember, I remember years ago um, <clears throat> when I was, I was sitting at the beach and uh, as, as the beach is not my thing, right? It's my family's thing and I go with them dutifully. So I'll sit at the beach and I'm sitting there, you know, under shade, just watching people and they're going out and they're setting up their stuff on the beach and they've got their chairs and they've got their, 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 they've got their towels and they've got their beach balls and they go running and everything's wonderful, right? And, they're, 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 and the waves are lapping in until about 10 waves decide to combine together and then they all come up the beach all the way up to the end and I'm like, ho, 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 and I'm walking away from this beach and you can see everyone panicking because their stuff just washes away. Have you seen that before? It's entertaining unless you're the one who's actually going through it. <laughs> and I believe that's what mourning is like. As you set everything up and everything's cool and everything's fine until one day something comes up again and it just hits you like a ton of bricks. It hits you like a wave and it just seems to mess up and decimate everything you set out in your life and then it just recedes away and then you're sitting there going... <laughs> How many times is this going to happen? I don't know. How many times are you going to go through the valley of death? I don't know. But you do have a lifeguard in your life. You have a shepherd who will walk you through this. What we do in our lives is that we demand so much comfort, so much success, so much immunity from pain in our lives. It's not natural. Even in nature, there are four seasons. Only one of those seasons, do you get fruit? One of those seasons, everything's dying. One of those seasons, everything's growing. One of those seasons is on its way to dying. You see what I'm saying? 
It's a part of our life. And I believe we need to learn how to actually mourn, how to actually feel the pain that God allows to bring into our lives. Let me continue on here. Number three, the hired hand. That's the gatekeeper sometimes being called. John 10, 12. It says the hired hand is not the shepherd. Can I say it again? The hired hand is not the shepherd. Your husband, your wife is not the shepherd. The pastor here is not the shepherd. Even though I'm given that title of shepherd in scripture, I am not, capital S, the shepherd, right? The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and he scatters it, right? like, well, what type of shepherd is this? He's not. He's just a hired hand, right? He got maybe a title of a stand-in shepherd or something like that, but he is not the, he's not the shepherd. He's the hired hand. Now, the amazing thing is when Jesus is saying this, he said he doesn't even love the sheep. He doesn't own the sheep. And, and I'm looking at it going, this is a little brutal, Jesus. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be the best pastor I can here, right? That's a, it's a little brutal. I don't think his point is to say how horrific Peter is, right? But here's the thing, many are losing their faith because Christ, they're losing their faith in Christ because of someone else's actions. And then when that person fails, we give up our faith. Well, the reason I don't go to church is because all the stuff that's been happening in church. The reason I don't go to church is because the pastor ran off with the choir director, which you can know this, I'll never run off with Pastor Jared. (laughs) (laughs) That was weird. Wow. Where am I going with this? The point is, is that Jesus is trying to say that only he can be the one who actually saves us, who can actually lead us. How do I know that? Because he goes on and he says this, the man man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The third time he said, I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me. I know the father and only I, I lay down my life for the sheep. You see, if I lay down my life for you, as scripture says that no greater love has there been that one person lays down their life for another. If I lay down my life, I show you my love, but I cannot save you. I still can't save you. Does that make sense? That's why he's being so brutal with the gatekeeper here. He is the great shepherd, not the gatekeeper. And I believe that as many have lost their faith because other great Christians or other giants of the faith have fallen, many of us have decided to give up our faith in life. And if you're hearing me right now, wherever you are in the world, you can't put your faith in those that have let you down. You have to put your faith in Christ. Pastors cannot be the one that leads you to salvation. Only Christ can lead you to salvation. You can't decide to give up your faith because your parents got divorced. You can't decide to give up your faith because the church failed at speaking out against issues. You can't decide to give up your faith because pastors sinned. You can't decide to give up your faith because Ravi wasn't the man that you thought he was. Only Christ alone Only Christ alone. This is why we take the blood and the wine in a symbolic remembrance of what he's done for us, not what Peter has done for us or Rabbi Zacharias has done for us. We remember the one who has brought us to salvation. Now we can mourn when something is stolen from us. 
We mourn when giants are stolen from us. We mourn when loved ones are stolen from us. We, we mourn when, when even pastors fall, but we don't abandon the pen and the shepherd. We don't abandon those two things because we still need the body of Christ and we need the one who died for the body of Christ. I'm just a hired hand. I'm just a hired hand at the end of the day. But there is one that we know of. Jesus named himself. He said he called himself the good shepherd. He says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He says, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Not halfway, not just a little sprinkling, but to have it to the full. I got a question for you. What is full life to you? What is it that full life is to you? Because many of us have decided a full life to me is that I find the right person and I get married. And we have this perfect marriage. The, 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 the full life is I, I'm able to get a good job, make lots of money, be out of debt. A full life is I have children and we're all healthy and they go off to be who they're meant to be. A full life is me doing good. A full life is I'm able to travel. That's a full life for me. Do you know that atheists can do it too? You see, in all of these things, you can have more money and still be dissatisfied. You can have a marriage, but still struggle with lust or rejection. You can have children and they're still going to eventually leave you. You can still do good things and still have people who are ungrateful, who take your loan of you. You can have all these good things in your life. Can I tell you this? Having those things is not what brings a full life to you. A full life is that Christ is in the middle of each one of them. You see what I'm saying? It's not, it's not that you have those things that you now have a full life. Eventually, many people actually try and get to the place that a full life is actually demonstrated by being pain-free. If I'm pain-free in my body, if I'm pain-free in my emotions, if I'm pain-free in my life, then I've actually been able to discover some just semblance of a life, right? No, 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 no. He didn't say he's going to just give you life. He said he's going to give it to the full. He's going to give you a full life in your life. But there's one thing I want you to understand. According to John chapter 10, verses 10, Jesus didn't promise life through the absence of the thief or pain, only through himself. Come on now, that was good. Only through himself. We're waiting for Jesus to get rid of all the pain, all the difficulties, all the, the valleys of the shadows of life. We're, we're trying to get rid of all these horrible things that we're going through. But Jesus didn't say, once we get rid of the thief, then we'll have a full life. He said, I'm gonna give you a full life regardless of what the thief does in your life. You're following this so far. You're tracking with me. This is super, super important. That is when Christ is in the middle of those things. So then how do we find this full life? How do we get him into the middle of these things? Three times he called himself the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verses three to five, he says this. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his, what does it say? Voice. Voice. He's telling us. He's telling us how we have him in the midst of everything. They listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him 
because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. The voice of the shepherd is what gives us confidence, safety, and peace, regardless of the threat or the loss. You know, one of the things I've found with my children is that my children are in trouble or they're going through difficulties and they don't know how to do something. When they were young, I just have to step in and go, hey, what's going on? What's going on? I can't do this and this is not happening. Yep, okay, well, we'll let's, let's bring it down a notch and then let's talk about it. Well, it's just this thing happened and I don't know. Okay, well, no, no problem. No worries. Don't worry about it. No matter. We'll figure this out. Suddenly, they get into a place of peace. Why? Because their dad came in and said, it's going to be fine. You see what I'm saying? It's when the father's voice speaks, it's when the shepherd's voice speaks that I believe that we find security. You see, children don't need to know the future. They don't need to understand what's going on. They don't need to have a palette of solutions. They don't need to know that everything's even going to be fixed. What they need to know is that dad is in charge and he comes through hearing his voice. We know that he's in charge. We know that he's here. The shepherd is here. The father is here. And because I hear his voice, I now know everything's fine. So our job is not to try and figure out what's the fix in my life. My job is to figure out how do I hear the voice of God? How do I hear the voice of the shepherd? And I haven't got this in my notes, but there are three ways I believe you hear the voice of the shepherd. Number one, through Scripture. Number two, through the body of Christ. And number three, through the Holy Spirit. It's the three ways that you hear the voice of God. And I went through this myself when I was going through mourning years ago and I didn't know how to mourn. I'd lost my father and many of you heard my story before, but I'd lost my father. It took me two years to try and get over the depression of losing my father. And I believe it took me about five years just to allow my emotions to catch up with the fact that everything had changed in my life, right? And the thing that I discovered in all of that was I didn't know the voice of God as much as I thought. I didn't even have the behaviors and the habits in my life in order to try and hear the voice of God as much as I thought. And so the removal of my father actually showed me how much Jesus wasn't my good shepherd. And I wasn't the good sheep. I wasn't calling out to him. I was relying on the blessing that God had already given me. Today, what I want to do is I want us to call out for the shepherd. And we've given you some communion cups here today. And if you're watching online right now, even if it's later, you can actually take this communion with us right now. I'm going to take a couple of minutes right now and you can open it up. This is a vintage 2018 right here. And we're going to take the, the body and we're going to take the blood. <coughs> And Jesus said, remember me in the midst of everything you do. In the midst of all that you have, remember me. Because it's me in the middle of it that gives you the life. It's not the removal of the, the enemy. It's not the removal of pain. It's me in the middle of it that gives you life. It gives you hope. It gives you peace. And I believe that whatever has happened in your life, whatever has happened in your life or whatever is currently happening in your life, there is peace in the middle of that valley because you're following the good shepherd through. Let's take the body of Christ.
Jesus, we take this body because we remember that you laid your life down for us. And we take it in a remembrance and we say today, you're in the middle of whatever it is I'm going through. I place you in the middle of it. I'm putting my eyes on you. Not on this junk, I'm putting it on you. Because you are the one who gives us hope. And when Jesus was on the cross, he spilled his blood and he said, this blood will break bonds on us. Bonds on our hearts, bonds in our lives, bonds generationally, bonds in our minds, all these bonds that tie us down and choke us out. He said, this breaks the hold of the enemy. And so now we take the blood of Christ. Let's stand this morning. Jesus, the older I get, the more I realize I need you. The more trouble I go through, I realize how much I need you. Yet that was always true. And once again, I want to take you and I want you to be on the throne. I want you to be in charge of everything in my life. I want to put you there again and go, here's my offering. My offering is tears. My offering is brokenness. My offering is, I don't know what to do about this. My offering is loss. My offering is theft. This is all I got. I can only bring that to you. And I want you to be in charge of that. Just tell me what's next. Just speak to me and help me to follow your voice. We ask this in your precious son's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.